Welcome back to the 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Wednesday afternoon. I'm super excited to welcome back on the program the one and the only Cruzy McCalligan. Cruz, it's great to speak to you. How are you doing? Hello, I'm doing well. It's nice to have a bit of a break from the heat today, isn't that? Isn't I'm... it? With a bit of... It's not a very happy day out there, but at least it's not as scorching hot. I was just thinking about that this morning as I was walking uh, back to work, and I was thinking, wow, I, I welcome this breeze. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> 31 degrees, but at least it was breezy, <laughs> sort yeah, of. Tr- it's, yeah, exactly. It's Arctic for us. <laughs> anyway. What have you got for our listeners this afternoon, then? I want to talk a little bit about hidden and buried treasure Nice, nice. Okay. There's a yes. fascination like from, from childhood to now, you know, everybody there wants is. to find treasures. There is. And I you know, and I've been thinking about it because my kids are of that age where like they're kind of into kind of pirates at the moment and you know, like oh the treasure <laughs> and the treasure coins and things like that and like sunken treasure and I don't know, and I kind of was and um just in my mind when I was watching them kind of play with like gold doubloons that they'd created or whatever, I kind of thought to myself, like, what, why do they, how do they know, they have no concept of where this comes from. Like, where does, you know, they're just children, they just take it for granted that you've got your pirate's buried treasure, but they have no idea what that actually means in the context of history or anything. And I was like, do I even know? And I was like, I don't know if I do. So I thought I'd have a bit of a look into it. Um, Because there is, like, we do have a fascination with treasure. And even though, you know, I am now an adult who has, I would say, has made some responsible decisions in my life and is relatively professional and responsible and grown up in many ways. But having said that, if I'm on a beach and I'm looking through stones, I'm always fascinated by what you could find, right? Like even if it's a fossil or something that, you know, like we just have this kind of, and I'm not very, I'm not really obsessed with like um, money. I'm not trying to find like a hidden treasure or like a, you know, a, case full of banknotes but there's this feeling where like you're uncovering something special you know that you're the first one to uncover the special thing which is quite like an interesting feeling like even just recently I've been kind of um trying to do a bit of a declutter of my home while hiding from the heat and um it's still that feeling of like I wonder what's in this drawer maybe I'll find something whereas like Usually, let's be honest, the only kind of hidden treasure I find in my life is like a $20 bill in the bottom of a disused handbag. But, you know, it's like we do have this kind of obsession with treasure, don't we? I was just thinking with treasures, it's like the digging the you know, oh, how valuable this is and then comparing. What did you find? Because I know certainly when I go to the beach, I, I dig for shells and that's kind of like treasures. And you see how like shiny that shell is or that uh, like the mollusky thing. And then and then you compare like, oh, which one you can make into a, a necklace or something like that. And that to me is like treasure hunting. That's true, though. It's like our, it's like our magpie instincts of collecting <laughs> the shiny, shiny things. Yes. <laughs> but I wanted to look into this a little bit because, you know, of course, one of the, the myths that we have is like pirates with buried treasure, right? Like that's in movies and film and stories and cartoons, everything. Pirates and buried treasure. So did pirates actually bury treasure? Um, and of course, like pirate lore has lots of tales of hidden treasure and maps where X marks a spot, right? But actually, there are only a few reliable accounts of buccaneers actually burying their kind of loot. Mm. And um, 
so I guess it's just this idea that's really captivated us. But one early example um, concerns the English privateer Francis Drake. So after a 1573 raid on a Spanish mule train, him and his men um, had all these tons of gold and silver um, along the Pan- um, Panamian Panamanian. Panamian Panamian coast in Panama uh, to prevent it from being recaptured. They interred it. So Drake left guards at the sites, right, to hide all this this gold and silver. But he quickly retrieved it after kind of rendezvousing with the ships. He didn't like leave it for legends to come back in 10, 10 years or something. It was really all about it was really all about just, um, you know, keeping it somewhere safe just while he got the logistics working. And then now, he'll come and, back for it. And then he'll come back for it. And he came back for it immediately. There was another, um, there was another um, sea rogue who wasn't as fortunate, who was Captain William Kidd, who was a notorious privateer-turned-pirate who became a wanted man for plundering shipping in the Indian Ocean. Mm-hmm. So in 1699, Kidd dropped anchor near New York and buried the modern equivalent of millions of dollars in gold and jewels on this tiny tiny island called Gardiner's Island. And now he was arrested in Boston while he was trying to clear his name. And it wasn't long before they tracked down and confiscated all of his treasure. Mm. Right. And then he was um, then taken to London and, and he was hung. So he didn't have a happy ending. Um, but he did, he did bury his treasure. Now, like many other pirate myths, the concept of buried plunder was really popularized by the author Robert Louis Stevenson in the 1883 novel Treasure Island, which involves a hunt for a cache of gold hidden by the sea captain. Um, a sea captain. Now, according to maritime, um, uh, a maritime historian called David Cordingly, the buccaneers of old were actually rarely very frugal. So rather than turning a hole into the ground in a savings account, they were actually much more likely to just spend the money mm-hmm. on, on alcohol and women and gambling as soon as they got to port. Right? Like, that's what they did. They didn't, weren't like, oh, you know, let's just for a rainy day, just find an island and just pop it in the ground and then just come. Oh, it won't go anywhere. It's a genius idea. They didn't do that. They just spent it. <laughs> right? So that's what they kind of did. Now, even though um, these sort of real-life pirate hordes were very rare, legends about them um, was just just rife. Everyone had a legend about a pirate history. Um, and so there was all these different kinds of ideas. There was a tale of the treasure of Lima, which was a haul of Spanish gold, silver, and jewels, supposedly stolen by a British captain named William Thompson. And it was meant to be buried on Cocos Island in Costa Rica around 1820. And the loot was rumored to be around $200 million, but actually no one's been able to find it. So lots of people have tried to find it and they haven't been able to find it. It's but um, it might still be there. It might still be there. And um, this, is, this is the other thing that's really interesting is that we have a lot of these actual real stories of kind of buried treasure or um, treasures that are out there that people know of and all this sort of stuff. And... Um, a couple of them, can, uh, for example, include there's the 2,000-year-old menorah. So hidden treasures often carry a lot of historical significance. So in the year 70 AD, the Romans sacked the Temple of Jerusalem, and then they absconded with the temple's prized menorah. So the menorah, as you know from the Jewish faith, is the, um, the candle holder that has, you know, I'm not describing it very well. You know what I'm talking about, what a menorah is. Now, um, they know, they know, historians know that the Romans brought this to Rome um, because it's depicted on a frieze, like a, like kind of a um, olden days, like a 
carving, painting on the Ark, um, the Ark of Titus in the Roman Forum. So they, they have a depiction, they have a historic account of the Romans bringing this menorah, and then some claim the menorah was housed at Rome's Temple of Peace, which burned down in the year in um, 191, 191, um, after which the fate of the menorah is uncertain. So this is a whole, this, um, this amazing, like prized 2,000-year-old menorah, probably made of gold or something equally valuable, that no one knows where it is, but they know it existed, right? In um, closer here um, to home in China, um, there is the imperial seal, which was known as the heirloom seal of the realm, which was a jade seal that was carved in 221 BC for the um, emperor of China. And this passed from dynasty to dynasty until the 10th century. After that, there's no record of its existence. So like several theories have an idea of what it could, ha what it could have happened of it, but nobody really knows. So there's, there's another kind of idea that, again, there's this very very precious, precious item that people know about, but they don't know where it is. Mm. Um, there's also just the stories of which I think a lot of us have heard, because it's always in movies, is like the Fabergé eggs. Have you heard of the Fabergé eggs? Is that like the really nicely decorated eggs? that yes. you get? Um, but yes. okay, maybe, maybe I'm thinking about something else. No, no, you're thinking about the right thing, the Fabergé eggs. So, so this is like, they're often in movies of like, oh, someone has a Fabergé egg or they've you know, like it's quite a like it's got a jewel thing. on it. Yes, yes. So start, now, the, the story of Fabergé egg is starting in 1885. The Tsars of Russia gifted the ladies in their life these eggs made of precious stones and metal by the jeweler who was called Fabergé. Oh, yes. Now each egg was a complete treasure, and then they contained smaller treasures inside them, like a little golden crown or a little golden hen or something like that. Right now, a total of 50 were made all of which were confiscated by the Russian government during the Russian Revolution of 1917. Now, while historians can account for many of the eggs, seven remain missing. So Ooh. that's exactly why I guess people keep putting them into movies, like, oh, he's got a lost Fabergé egg, right? Because in... Um, there's still hope that these seven will be found, and they're very, very precious. In 2012, one was discovered by an American scrap metal dealer, which was sitting on a shelf in his house. Like, he never... What? I just Googled it. Co they cost approximately $15 million each. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. They're really... Yeah, but I'm sure you would have seen it. I mean, I feel like James Bond, or there's always, like, kind of those sorts of action movies always have some some evil villain who has a Fabergé <laughs> egg because they have more money than sense or whatever it is. You know, it's just an enormous amount of money. But they, um, but people are also still finding, people still find um, treasure as well. So I find that really interesting um, idea that, you know, that when people often like when they clear out their old homes or something they discover in an attic like a, a lost masterpiece painting or in the back of their garden they uncover a whole load of gold roman coins which are completely carats worth of diamonds <laughs> yeah exactly you know what i mean and i think there's like there's enough of these stories that people always think it's po think it's possible for them right like oh i'm sure if i find an old smelly attic there'll be something incredibly valuable in there that everybody has overlooked for to, for decades and generations um but yes, yeah, so I think that's kind of an interesting thing. I don't think I've ever come across something like that in my own life where I'm like, wow, this is actually of incredibly high value. Um, 
Do you know what I mean? I think it's like what people want when you think you watch a show like Antiques Roadshow. Oh, yeah. That's what they're aiming for. You know what I mean? Like for someone to tell them that this is worth an absolute fortune. Um, but it, so, so, so here's a couple of stories that I found that were really, um, really nice of people who found hidden treasure. So in 2009... A man called Terry Herbert was searching a recently ploughed farmland um, in Staffordshire, I don't know where that is, um, in the UK, with a metal detector. Now, while searching, he discovered gold artifacts buried in the land. And within the next five days, he discovered 244 gold items and then decided to, you know, actually contact the right people, like an antiquities organization, um, and they got uh, permission from the landowner, which makes me laugh, because I'm like, you were searching for this on somebody's land that wasn't yours, um, and they got permission from the landowner to keep looking, and they found about 1,300 more objects, um, and the Treasure Valuation Committee, which is incredible, there's a Treasure Valuation Committee in the UK, um, they valued the hoard and found it to be worth about £3.285 million, pounds, and, which is incredible. That you just find that with a metal detector in some farmland, you know. It's worth getting a metal detector then. You never yeah, know. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. You never know. But that's, I guess what, that's what people do, right? They go yeah, up they and do. down beaches yes. and into, into swamplands with a metal detector. And um, there was another couple who were walking their dog in their backyard um, in 2013. And while casually kind of walking around waiting for the dog to probably, you know, do its business, they spotted something in the moss under the shadow of an old tree. Mm. And they thought it was like the edge of a rusty can. And they dug it out and they found a hoard of 1,427 gold coins, which added up to 31,000 US dollars. And there were six cans in total. And these coins were really precious. They dated from 1847 to 1894 and uh, according to the experts the coins were pretty like in mint condition they hadn't been circulated so somebody had had them like got them like when they were very new and hidden them um, and some of them were so rare that they fetched more than a million dollars a piece per coin wow. and that was just in their backyard while they were like, waiting for their dog <laughs> that's what you we're know? missing a backyard <laughs> A backyard. I think that I think that's a lot of people sort of think of that sort of thing, don't they? That like you know, if you have a backyard, and then that's about it. Um, but then there's a lot of people who find like uh, money in like furniture if they get like secondhand furniture and things. Mattresses, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but it's quite remarkable that you have all these different things. And I often think like I don't know how long it will be possible because how many. Sometimes I feel like we're living in a world without, without the option for secrecy, right? Mm. Because you think, well, you know, like somebody would probably have seen you on the beach burying your treasure today. There's a lot of people. There's a lot more people in the world today than there were in the 1700s. And, you know, there's a few, far fewer kind of remote places that you could lug a hoard of gold and silver. But, um, but it's just this idea that people still have this fascination um, wanting to wanting to find kind of hidden treasure um but it's what you value as treasure as well i think like you're saying like i always think of like okay i guess people finding like ancient relics to me is just kind of mind-blowing i remember um visiting a cave in gibraltar when i was younger um where they had like a lot of archaeological digs and they were talking about how they'd they'd found um like little scarab beetles made of kind of metals from Egypt just like had been brought as offerings to the cave. And I just remember thinking, because I did classical studies at university. I have a degree in classical studies. 
always, I'm quite fascinated by ancient society. And I remember thinking like how amazing it would be to just see that this tiny, you know, an offering someone had made and then the intention they had behind it. Whereas I guess today, like if someone had like a treasure hoard, which was just like a giant trunk of kind of iPads or something, it doesn't have the same, does it have the same kind of mystery behind it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm just thinking about, uh, you know, locally in Hong Kong, we've got the cave, Chiang Po Tai Cave in Chung Chow. Um, that's the, 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 the notorious pirate that hi, uh, hid his treasures there in Chung Chow. And I oh. remember I remember going there in primary four for a school visit. And, you know, all our friends, and we, we were just so fascinated just, to, you know, in Hong Kong to have um, a, a treasure cave, if you like. Of course, we didn't find any treasures um, because we didn't know where it's hidden but i believe it's out there somewhere <laughs> yeah well that's the thing isn't it it's like these sorts of stories of hidden and buried treasure really really capture our imaginations because they're rarely they're rarely i think it's because they're rarely straightforward stories right like why would someone have something of that value and had to have hidden it like it creates it's no wonder it makes its way into movies and books because it's so fascinating um it's like you always hear about the thing of like um like the Nazi gold. Have you heard of this? Like Nazi gold. So um, during the final months of World War II, as Germany found itself on the brink of defeat, the Nazi regime sought to hide the valuables it had spent the past six years looting from museums and Jewish families all over Europe. So the Nazis were, you know, obviously not a great bunch, terrible, horrific people, and they just pillaged and took all these valuable things, artifacts, you know, um, artwork, jewelry, everything. And then today, there's, and then they looted it, right? They stockpiled it and they hid it. And even today, there are rumors that circulate of a kind of, kind of ghost train carrying up to 300 tons of gold and other riches through secret networks of tunnels in Poland. So that they're thinking like, you know, they haven't ever really recovered everything that the Nazis took from people. Um, And that it's quite incredible that, you know, they, they, um, they, they're trying to find, like people are still captivated by this idea that there would be this hoard of treasures with a sad story behind it, obviously, that the Nazis had taken. Um, in 1959, divers retrieved containers filled with millions of dollars worth of fake currency from allied nations, um, which was part of a Nazi plan to destroy their enemies' economies through inflation. So, like, it's apparently this, and, like, people really risk their lives for it. Uh, to date, at least seven people have drowned in, in the lakes, in lakes, um, freezing waters looking for Nazi gold. You know, like it still captivated people that there could be something of that value out there just waiting for somebody to find it. Amazing. It's really fascinating. I think this is not just a childhood kind of thing. I think it lingers on into adulthood. And I hope everybody will find some hidden treasures sometime in their life. Have you got any quotes for us? I do. I have some great quotes. Um, The first one is from Marty Rubin, who says, the gold you have to dig for is not the real gold, which I think is very important to remember. Um, Paolo Coelho, who said, um, the author, he said, you can either be a victim of the world or an adventurer in search of treasure. It all depends on how you view your life. Um, I'm like, okay, that's interesting. But, you know, maybe the adventure is better than the treasure (laughs) as well. Um, Joseph Campbell, who did a lot of writing about myths, said, it is by going down into the abyss that we recover the treasures of life. Where you stumble, there lies your treasure. 
And I think that also, yeah, it is. And I think it's that idea again that it's the journey, the story behind the treasure rather than the The, actual treasure, right? It's a journey, not the destination, as they say. Absolutely. And the last one, um, which is from Lao Tzu, he said, the wise man does not lay up his own treasures. The more he gives to others, the more he has for his own. That's true. The more you give, it's like love. The more you give, the more you'll have. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Cruz, thank you so much for such a wonderful audio column. Um, I hope you find some treasures um, with with, with your (laughs) children when you're digging up at the beach. Shiny, shiny shells, if you like. Do do you still get many of those in Hong Kong? I I think you do. Of course you do. And it's all how you look at it, right? I mean, like, I think that's the beautiful thing about kids and treasure is that they remind us what could be a treasure because of how they see everything that is new and interesting with such innocent bright eyes right absolutely it's like finding a glass like one of those old heineken glass bottles like that's like a shard (laughs) of it and he was like oh it's an emerald or something like that exactly oh those were the days well cruz thank you so much for your time this afternoon and i look forward to more chats with you next week thank you very much take care bye-bye bye and a quick look at the weather